Amen. All right, we're there in Luke uh, chapter number 8. And of course, we are back in our Journey with Jesus uh, series, a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. So David, could you turn me up just a hair? I'm having trouble hearing myself. I appreciate that. And uh, in this passage before us, uh, we see the Lord Jesus Christ uh, come into contact our, in, in, into communication with a demon-possessed man. And of course, throughout the Gospels, we have the Lord Jesus Christ dealing with devils and demons, and this won't be the first time that we, we see this interaction. But I will say this, that this passage that we're looking at this morning is probably the most well-known of the uh, interactions that Jesus had with demon-possessed people or devils, is what the Bible calls them. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at this story and learn some things about what the Bible teaches about uh, devils and demons and being demon-possessed. And of course, I'd encourage you to take some notes, and I've got some things I'd like to highlight for you from this passage on the back of your course of the week. There's a place to write down some things. Notice there in Luke chapter 8 and verse 26, the Bible says, and they, and of course, this is Jesus and his disciples arrived. Now, it's been a little bit of time. It's been a little while since we were in our Luke uh, series. Of course, we had our conference and all that. But if you remember the last time we were in Luke, uh, Jesus and his disciples were on a ship uh, crossing the Sea of Galilee. If you remember, they were on a ship uh, during a storm. Jesus was asleep, and we learned about the lessons uh, from uh, the storm there. Uh, with them, and here now they've 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 gone across the Sea of Galilee, and they arrived. The Bible says there in verse twenty-six at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. Look at verse twenty-seven. And when he, referring of course to Jesus, went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time. Now this story is found in other gospels, and in other gospels we are told that there were two. Uh, demon-possessed man that confronted Jesus. Uh, But here in Luke, we have this one. This is the main one and the one that he spoke with the most. And we see this confrontation. In fact, if you're taking notes and you'd like to write down uh, some thoughts, the first thing I'd like you to notice is the confrontation with the demon-possessed man and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we're told that Jesus, keep in mind, he's on his ministry. He's going around the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and what is referred to as his Galilean ministry. He's preaching the Word of God, preaching uh, uh, the, uh, about the kingdom of God. He's, of course, healing and, and uh, casting out devils. And as he comes to this uh, country of the Gadarenes, the Bible says, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time. We see this confrontation with a demon-possessed man. I'd like you to keep your place there in Luke chapter 8. That's obviously our text for this morning. But go with me, if you would, to the uh, book of Revelation. The last book in the Bible should be fairly easy to find, Revelation chapter 12. And let me just give you, just as we get started, some thoughts here in regards to the, the devil. Of course, the devil is Satan. We understand that. But the Bible also tells us that the, that the devil has devils, plural, or what we would call demons. The King James Bible does not use the word demons. I'm not against the word using the word demons, but the Bible uses the word devils in regards to what we would call demons. In Revelation chapter 12, if you look at verse 3, Revelation 12, 3, the Bible says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. Now that dragon is, of course, Satan. You're going to see here that here in a minute. Having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Now I want you to notice in verse 4. Here in Revelation 12, we're having an allegory of, of events that, are, that take place, of course, in heaven. Verse 4, the Bible says, 
and his tail, referring to the dragon, drew the third part of the stars of heaven. So we've got this red dragon up in heaven, and the stars are surrounding this red dragon. And then the Bible tells us that his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered and to devour her child as soon as it was born. And of course, we know that's referring to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to get the commentary of what we read there in verses 3 and 4. If you skip down to verse 9, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, the Bible says, and the great dragon was cast out. Who's the red dragon? Notice what the Bible says. That old serpent, remember the serpent in the Garden of Eden, called the devil and Satan. So the Bible tells us who the red dragon is, the great dragon. The great red dragon is that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. Notice these words. You say, well, who are the stars that, that his tail drew, the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth? Here the Bible tells us in verse 9, he was cast out into the earth. Notice the last part of verse 9. And his angels were cast out with him. So I want you to notice when Satan was cast out, when Satan fell, the Bible says he drew the third part of the angels, chose to follow Satan, and these angels were cast down, uh, cast out with him down into the earth. And of course, these are what we know today as devils or unclean spirits, or demons. So the devil, and in fact, I don't have time to develop Revelation 12. We'll do that another time when I'm preaching through the book of Revelation. But what we're reading about here is the fact that the devil is at war with God and with God's people. And along with that war, he's got helpers. He's got this third part of the stars of heaven that, that he did cast down to the earth with himself, his angels, which are devils or demons. Uh, go, go to Ephesians, if you would, Ephesians chapter number 6. If you, if you kept your place in Luke, which is, of course, our text for this morning, and you, you go from Luke, you can go past John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. And here's what you need to understand about this confrontation. You say, why is it that this demon-possessed man confronted the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's why. Because the devil has devils, the devil has demons, and the devil and his demons, his, his, his troops of soldiers, are engaged in spiritual warfare against God, against the Lord Jesus Christ, and against God's people. Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 12, notice what the Bible says. Ephesians 6, 12, the Bible tells, we often reference this verse in regards to spiritual warfare, but I want you to notice what the verse is telling us. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is a verse about spiritual warfare. In this passage, we're told to put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, of course, we're told uh, to uh, go to battle with Satan and his devils and his demons. But here in verse 12, we're told, hey, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. What does that mean? Flesh and blood is referring to human beings. See, the, Christ, the Christian life is a life of war. We are engaged in spiritual warfare, but we're not wrestling, we're not fighting, we're not uh, engaging in battle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting human beings when it comes to spiritual warfare. Now, don't misunderstand me. 
many human beings are being controlled by the devil and being used by Satan in order to fight against us, but our war is not against flesh and blood. So today, you've got uh, people who think, well, we've got we've to you know, get armed and we've got to create a militia and we have to fight uh, uh, the government in order to fight spiritual battles, but the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, I think it's a good idea for you to have a gun, <laughs> legally, of course, all those things. I think it's a good idea for you to defend yourself. But look, our battle is not a physical battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but here's who we do wrestle against. Here's who we are fighting against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. What is this referring to? It is referring to the devil and his angels, the devil and his demons. And of course, we understand that the demons are and the devil are controlling this world. He is the lowercase g god of this world. He is the prince of this world. He controls this world. He controls the politics of this world. He controls the influences of this world. But, and, and many people are being controlled by the devil himself. But we are waging war in spiritual warfare, principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against, notice the word, spiritual wickedness in high places. So there is a confrontation with this demon-possessed man and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what you need to understand. There is a confrontation between demons and devils and between God's people because we are engaged in spiritual warfare. At least we're supposed to be. Go to Acts, if you would, Acts 19. If you're there in Ephesians, you go backwards. You got Galatians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans, Acts. Acts chapter 19. We're supposed to be engaged in spiritual warfare. And look, and if you're living for God, and, and of course, especially the men of God, pastors and those that are uh, in, in, in ministry preaching the Word of God, men of God who are preaching the Word of God have a target on their back by demons, by the devil. And, and by the way, if you're living the Christian life, you should have a target on your back. You know, you might say, well, I, I've never had an issue. I've never had a problem where I felt like I was uh, uh, dealing with some sort of spiritual warfare. I've never had a problem with the devil. I've never had a problem with demons. Well, look, if you've never came in, in confrontation with the devil, if you've never gone head to head with demons, maybe it's because you're running in the same direction they're running. Maybe it's because they're not worried and concerned about you. Maybe it's because you're not accomplishing enough for them to even know who you are. Notice in, verse, in, in Acts chapter 19, in verse 13, we have a story. And I'd like you to keep your place there in Acts 19. Put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. But we have a story of, a, of devils and demon-possessed people. Verse 13, the Bible says, Then certain vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, as referring to demons or devils, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did also. So, there's seven, so this man, Siva, has seven sons. And these seven sons, they've seen Paul and different people cast out uh, devils and spirits, and they want to do the same. So they go to this demon-possessed man, and they, they said, Hey, we adjure you uh, by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. So it doesn't seem like these men necessarily know who Jesus is. They're just saying, Well, I heard Paul cast out a devil in the in the name or in the authority of Jesus. So they're now standing up to this demon and saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Siva, a Jew, and a chief of the priests, which did so. Look at verse 15. 
And the evil spirit answered and said, here's what the devil in this man said to the seven sons of Siva. He said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And, and it's interesting to me that these devils, they say, well, I know who Jesus is. I know who Paul is. He's causing us a lot of problems. He's causing us a lot of issues. He's preaching the word of God, getting people saved, starting churches, discipling converts. I know who Jesus is. I know who Paul is. He says, well, who are you? I'm not worried about you. I'm not concerned with you. And look, it is, and the reality is, when it comes to spiritual warfare, hey, you know, you know you're doing something right when the devil's attacking you. You say, I don't really understand spiritual warfare. Well, look, it's not some, you know, don't think of some horror movie you've watched. But spiritual warfare is simply the devil using his resources to try to fight against you and stop you and try to make things difficult for you. You say, I don't know what spiritual warfare looks like. Okay, well, look at our friend Pastor Shelley and you'll know what spiritual warfare looks like. When it seems like the whole world has just orchestrated against you to try to destroy your church, hey, he's doing something right. He's, 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 he, let me say it this way. The devil knows who he is. And these churches that just, you know, nothing bad ever happens to them. Everybody loves them. The mayor's praising them. Everybody thinks they're great. You know, the problem with those churches is that they're not engaged in spiritual warfare. Because if you were engaged in spiritual warfare, there would be a confrontation. We see the Lord Jesus Christ with this confrontation. Go, go, go back to uh, Luke chapter 8. So I'd like you to see, number one, the confrontation with the demon-possessed man. Satan has devils. He has demons. And he's engaged in spiritual warfare against God, against the Lord Jesus Christ, and against God's people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this world. So we see the confrontation with a demon. But I'd like you to notice, secondly, this morning, the characteristics of a demon. And this is what I think is the most interesting part of this story, is that you get a lot of details in regards to this demon-possessed man. Now, there are other demon-possessed people throughout the Bible that we read about, especially in the Gospel of Luke. We'll see other ones. But here we get a lot of descriptions of what a demon-possessed person looks like, acts like, the characteristics. And look, we need to always go to the Bible to allow the Bible to tell us what a demon-possessed person looks like. Because people often have the wrong interpretation in regards to what it means to be demon-possessed, what it means to be possessed of a devil. And a lot of times they're getting their interpretations from Hollywood horror movies. And, you know, they think if your head twists around or something, you're, you're demon-possessed. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say that. But here we get this, the characteristics of a demon-possessed person. I'd like you to notice them. Number one, notice there in Luke 8, 27. By the way, let me just say this. The characteristics of this demon-possessed person not only tell us what a demon-possessed person looks like, but it also shows us what a world that is influenced by the devil looks like. Because we're going to look at, here's what a devil, here's what a demon, here's what Satan produces in the life of an individual. And what you're going to notice is that as we see these characteristics in this demon-possessed man, we also see these same characteristics in the society and the world in which we live in. You say, why is that? Here's why. Because we live in a uh, demonically influenced world. Now, I'm not saying that people that have these characteristics are demon-possessed. I mean, if you've got all of them, you are, <laughs> you know. 
But even in your life, you may have allowed some demon influence into your life, some devilish influence into your life, some characteristics of a devil. You say, what are they? Well, notice number one, Luke 8, 27. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time. Here's the first characteristic, and wear no clothes. If you're writing this down... You can, write, you, you can write these sub-points down. Number one, a demon-possessed man, the demon-possessed man was naked. It's interesting to me that when the Bible gives us the most characteristics in regards to what a demon-possessed man looks like, the first thing we see is that he was naked, is that he wear no clothes. This was a naked man who was not wearing clothes. And of course, you know, if you see a naked man walking down the street, more than likely he's demon-possessed. But here's the, here's the application for you. You and I today live in a naked society. We live in a world where people think it's normal to, to be naked. You say, really? Look, by biblical standards, we live in a world where people uh, think it's okay to be naked. And you say, what does that show us? It shows us that we live in a demonically influenced world, especially right now during summertime. And look, let me tell you something. The Bible's very clear about what, what nakedness is. The Bible calls your thighs nakedness. The Bible talks about the fact that we ought to dress modestly, not in a way to bring attention to ourselves. But, but, but the Bible also, just to be clear during the summertime, the Bible does not teach situational ethics. You say, what, what's, what's situational ethics? Situational ethics is this idea where something is wrong in one situation, but could be right in a different situation. The Bible does not teach that. Now, there are some situational principles taught in Scripture. We understand that. But when it comes to something being right, something being wrong, hey, if it's right, it's always right. And if it's wrong, it's always wrong. You say, I, I don't understand. Give me an example. Okay. Well, here during, during the summertime, if somebody walked into Verity Baptist Church this morning, some lady walked into Verity Baptist Church this morning in her underwear, excuse me, we would all, you know, be shocked, right? Embarrassed. Tell the kids to, to look away, throw a bag on her, ask her, you know, to put some clothes on and leave. But yet, and you, I mean, I'm talking about Verity, but I'm talking about you people, would be like, embarrassed. Can you believe, honey, don't look, that woman walked into church in her underwear. But yet, the same Christians who would be shocked and embarrassed by that will go out somewhere, dig a hole in the ground, put water in it, call it a pool, and now it's acceptable to be in the exact same outfit, underwear? That's situational ethics. Let me tell you something. It's naked. If it's naked at the grocery store, if it's naked at Mary Baptist Church, it's naked at the lake. It's naked at the pool. It's naked at the... You say, are you, are you against uh, 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 pool? No, I'm against nakedness. I'm against, you say, are you against water parks? If you're going to go to water parks with a bunch of naked people, yeah, I'm against it. So what if I rent the whole water park just me and my family? Well, praise God. Good for you. But you're going to take your teenage kids to some water park with a bunch of naked people, a bunch of other naked teenagers, and you're like, oh, my teenage son doesn't. He, he would never have uh, some sort of a sexual thought. Is he a queer? Are you serious? I mean, look. If, if your son can look at a bunch of naked teenage girls and not have an impure thought, you got bigger problems. Right, right, right. You've got other problems. 
You, you got other issues. My husband never, your husband would. So look, nakedness is nakedness, and it's an influence of demonic activity. We live in a world today. I mean, literally in Texas, I mean, I'm sorry, Pastor Shelley's on my mind right now. Pastor Shelley was telling me that these protesters outside of his church, literally women are out there just completely, uh, just no tops. And the Texas police are just like, well, it's legal. We can't do anything about it. And this is supposed to be Texas, you know, the, the great haven of conservatism. It's a demon-possessed world we live in. It's a demon-influenced world we live in where people think that nakedness is acceptable. Here we see, we, we get the, the clearest characteristics of, of someone influenced by devils. And the first thing we're told is he wear no clothes. He wear no clothes. He was a demon-possessed man, was naked. You say, I, I've never been around uh, demon-influenced people. Well, if you've been around a bunch of naked people, you have been. And again, I'm not saying people that, I'm not saying they're demon-possessed. I'm just telling you, these are the characteristics of a devil. You say, I don't like this sermon. Well, it's not, it's going to get worse, so. <laughs> Look at the second characteristic. Number one, we see the demon-possessed, you might as well just, just act like, oh yeah, mm-hmm, I agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got to get out of here because pastor's not this stay late. Number one, demon possessed, the demon-possessed man was naked. Here's number two. Notice there in verse 27. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils a long time and wear no clothes. Notice, notice verse 27. Neither abode any in any house but in the tombs. Here's the second characteristic. Not only was the demon-possessed man uh, the demon-possessed man was naked. Number two, the demon-possessed man was fascinated with death. Here we're told that this man, he abode, he, he did not ab- abide, he abode not in any house. He didn't live in a house, but in the tombs. He lived in the cemeteries where dead people are. And again, look, today, this is why, you know, the rock and roll music, it's demonic music. This music that glorifies death and darkness, it's of the devil. When when God chooses to give us, here's what a demon-possessed man looked like. Number one, he's naked. Number two, he's fascinated with death. But look, again, it's not, you say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not fascinated with death. Look, our our whole culture is fascinated with death. I mean, look at the most popular movies today. What are they? A bunch of horror movies, a bunch of death-exalting movies. That's why we live in this world where this world is fascinating with that. I mean, you can't go one week without hearing of some, somebody, some demon-possessed person walking into a school and shooting people up. And then, and then saying afterwards, oh, well, I didn't know what I was doing. I can't believe blaming the drugs. You know, who are they blaming? The devils? We live in a world that is fascinated with death. And that is as a result of devilish influence demonic influence, it's in the movies, it's in the music, it's on TV, it's on the news, it's, it's a fascination with death, and it's demonic. Notice, thirdly, look at verse 28, and when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, notice the demon-possessed man, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, most high? 
like you notice, thirdly, not only was the demon-possessed man naked, not only was the demon-possessed man fascinated with death, not only, but, but thirdly, the demon-possessed man was aware of spiritual truth. It's interesting to me that the devil, and this is pretty common throughout the Gospels, these devils often understand the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, this demon-possessed man, he cries out, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God uh, Most High? Go, go back to Acts, if you would. Acts 19, remember we were there just a minute ago. While you turn there, let me read to you from James 2.19. James 2.19 says this, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Let me tell you something. The devils are not only influencing. This demon-possessed man was not only naked, he was not only fascinated with death, but he was also aware of spiritual truth. You want to find some of the best theologians in this world today? Quote-unquote, they're demon-possessed people. These devils, they, they look at Jesus and say, they, they understand who Jesus is. If you remember there, uh, in, 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 Acts, in Acts 19, we saw it. The demon-possessed, uh, 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 the evil spirit there in verse 15. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And look, I'm here to tell you something. A lot of these false religions are being controlled by the devil. And, and I'm not saying that people, I'm not saying if you're a Catholic, you're demon-possessed. I'm not saying if you're a Pentecostal, I mean, if you're a charismatic, tongue-speaking Pentecostal, you probably, you either are demon-possessed or you're faking it. Because the Holy Spirit does not, take control and make you say things and make you bark like a dog and roll over and the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. So, you know, you say, what are your thoughts about these these, uh, Pentecostal charismatic tongue speakers? Here's my thought. Number one, lots of them are faking it. I had a friend uh, I got, you know, but when I was in the Air Force, I got him saved. He was a tongue, he was this tongue-speaking uh, Pentecostal, and he would always talk about how he spoke in tongues or whatever. And one day, uh, we were having lunch together. Uh, we're on our lunch break, and we're, we're having lunch, and I started just giving him the gospel, and he got saved. He ended up coming to our church and got baptized, and, and, uh, and, and praise the Lord for all of that. But I remember talking to him after he got saved, and I said, now, uh, I got to ask you, you know, because I was just curious, like, because he told me that he'd spoken in tongues or whatever, and I, I kind of thought, like, maybe he was possessed with the devil. You know, so I, I said, hey, I got to ask you, you've told me that you've spoken in tongues before, you know, but now you're saved, now you have the Holy Spirit, and we'd already kind of talked about some of these things. And I said, what, what do you think about that experience? And he said, be very honest with you, I was faking it the whole time. <laughs> he's like, because in my church, because he, he grew up in this Pentecostal church, and he's like, in my church is this status thing. We're like, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're like, oh, you don't have the Holy Spirit. So he's like, I was faking it. All my friends were faking it. It's just, so I believe that a lot of these Pentecostals are just faking it. But the ones that aren't are demon-possessed. They're possessed with a devil, period, end of story. But they seem so religious. All these devils seem religious. The devils believe God and tremble. The devils look at Jesus and said, hey, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. But who are ye? The devils say, Jesus, thou son of God. So these devils 
are aware of spiritual truth. And look, mark my words, when you get, and again, I'm not saying everyone in these religions are all reprobates, and I'm not saying they're demon-possessed. I'm not saying every person demon-possessed is a reprobate, because the Bible does not teach that necessarily. Obviously, many of them are. But I will say this, when you get up to those high offices of the Jehovah's Witnesses, those high offices of the Mormon Church, those high offices, the Pope with the Catholic Church, not only are those guys a bunch of reprobates, they're all demon-possessed. They're all being controlled by the devil. The devil is very religious. The Bible says that he transforms himself into a, a, in, into a prophet of light, an angel of light. He's got false prophets. So this demon-possessed man was aware of spiritual truth. Number four, go back to, keep, keep your finger right there in Acts 19. We're going to come right back to it. Go, go back to Luke chapter 8. Look at verse 29. For he had commanded, we're, we're seeing the description given to us by, by Luke of this demon-possessed man that confronts the Lord Jesus Christ. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oft times it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. So I want you to notice here we have another uh, characteristic that's given to us about this demon-possessed man, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the band. So this guy was so out of control. He was so destructive that they bound him in chains. They literally just, just wrapped him in chains and, 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 and locked him up. But the Bible says that he broke the bands. So another uh, demon-possessed man uh, characteristic from this man is not only that he was naked, it's not only that he was fascinated with death, it's not only that he was aware of spiritual truth, but this man also had above-normal strength, above-average strength. You might call supernatural strength. And this is not the only time we see this in the Bible. Go back to Acts 19. Remember our story with the seven sons of Siva? Acts 19, look at verse 15. Remember these seven sons? They're kind of fakers. They want to cast out devils, but, and they saw Paul do it. So they said, I jure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And, and the, the, the evil spirit, verse 15, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are ye? Notice verse 16, Acts 19, 16. And the man, singular, this is a demon-possessed man, the man in whom the evil spirit was, leaped on them. You see the them there? That's plural, because there's seven of them. So the one man leaps upon seven sons of Siva, notice, and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So here you got this demon-possessed man. You got seven sons of Siva trying to cast out this devil. The devil says, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And then he jumps on him, one man against seven, and he beats them up. I mean, the Bible says they run out of the house. I mean, don't you think that seven men should be able to take on one guy? But this demon-possessed man, he had this above-normal strength. The demon-possessed man that Jesus came in contact with, he was kept bound with chains and in fetters and break the bands. And look, today... People will often uh, tell stories, or, or I've never seen any of these videos, but people often tell me that they see these videos of these, these people on drugs, and they're just, they have like this supernatural strength, they're just, you know, running into the, getting hit by a car, just standing up and keep running, you know, just getting hit by bullets and keep, you say, what is that? I mean, obviously, 
a lot that a lot of that has to do with drugs. And by the way, drugs are a gateway to demon possession. Well, you should stay away from drugs and alcohol. You say alcohol? They're called spirits for a reason. They call alcohol spirits. You know why? Because it's a gateway into evil spirits. But you know, it has to do with drugs, but it has to do with the fact that these people are demon possessed. They're possessed with devils. Demon possessed people have above normal strength. They, this one man prevailed over seven. This man that Jesus comes in contact with was kept bound with chains and in fetters and he break bands. Go, go back to, go, go to Mark if you wouldn't. Mark chapter five. You're there in Acts, go backwards past John, Luke into Mark. And by the way, you know, obviously I can't preach this sermon without telling this story. Some of you know where I'm going. But we, we, had, we had a demon-possessed man attack our house. You know, that, you say, what do you think about that? It made me feel really good. Because the demon-possessed man was like, Jesus I know, Pastor Jimenez I know, you know. And I was like, well, we must be doing something right. But, you know, I don't remember, this was maybe a couple of years ago. On a Thursday afternoon, I was out soul winning uh, on our, our Thursday soul winning time. And my wife was going to have, you know, this also is a lesson on the providence of God. Because my wife was going to have a few ladies over at our house uh, because they were getting ready for some, I don't remember what event it was, but some event for the ladies. And she was having a few ladies over at the house and they were going to be getting all of the, um, I, don't, I don't remember the, the details, but I think the gifts or, or the, 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 some of the stuff they were going to give away at this event, they were going to have this, this assembly line and get them all together. And it was, this was going to happen at our house. But so, so many ladies ended up volunteering to help my wife with this that she, at the last minute she decided to do it at the church building because there's so many ladies coming to help. So she decided not to do it at our house, and she did it at our church building. So during this time, no one was in our house. I was out soul winning, and, and my wife was here with all of our children um, at the church building with the ladies. But I remember getting a call. I want to say it was Miss Cricket. Miss Cricket called my wife, and, and, and I got a call, and, and it was just like, there's all these cops in front of your house. And we're just like, what in the world? What happened? And uh, we ended up driving. I remember Brother Oliver and I drove to my house. And, and, we, get, and we, have, we have cameras, of course. You know, when you get as many death threats as I do, you got to have cameras all over your house. So, you know, we had cameras. And, and, and we got there. And what ended up happening was they, they, they'd arrested this guy that was trying to, like, break into our house. But as we, as we heard more about this, and especially as we started looking at the camera footage, okay, number one, he was completely naked. And I'm not saying naked like... By Baptist standards, I'm saying naked by everyone's standards. Like, bare naked. The whole, you know, big white albino guy, too. <laughs> Completely naked. And, and, he, and he's trying to get, we watch the footage. The first thing he does when he walks up, up to, my, to, my, to my front door is, is he tries to just open the doors, just to see if it was open, which is kind of scary. Always lock your doors. You live in California, okay? Lock your doors. And, um, and, 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 and then when, when that didn't happen, then he starts like crawling at the, the door, trying to pry the door open, trying to get into our house. Obviously, people notice there's a big white albino naked guy in front of our house, you know, so some, they call the cops, you know. He goes to the bathroom just right in front of our front doorstep, which the cops did not clean up, by the way, you know. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was part of the deal. I paid my, my taxes, pays your salaries, but anyway... And, uh, and, and, and we watched this footage, and look, three big muscular cops 
could not wrestle this like skinny white guy down. I mean, we watched the footage. There was like these three buff mu muscular cops and they're trying to like get him down and he was like overtaking them. The only reason that they were able to arrest him is because one of them, a fourth guy, finally walked up and just, you know, um, uh, tasered him. And when they tasered him, they, 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 they locked him up. But this guy was like, I mean, he's like beating up these, these, these cops and, and you say, what, what was that? A naked guy, you know, just overtaking these cops you know, it's like, you're read, it's like you're reading Luke chapter 8. And then the cops, we talked to the cops afterwards, and they're like, yeah, he, he kept saying, this is what he kept saying. He kept saying that there was a portal in our house. He needed to get into our house because he was saying, they're like, yeah, he's on drugs and, you know, he's whatever. And I, but I just thought this was interesting. He kept saying that he believed there was a portal in our house that would give him access to heaven and hell. And he needed to get into our house in order to access that portal. Obviously, he was demon-possessed. Obviously, he was on drugs. Obviously, he was crazy. But you know what? Let me tell you something. He wasn't that wrong. Because if there's anybody on that neighborhood that has a portal, not other than Miss Cricket, of course. She lives down the street from us. <laughs> My house and Miss Cricket's house has a portal in, 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 inside called a King James Bible and a soul winner that can, give you, can actually get you saved. I mean, it's interesting to me that he's just like, and, and I don't even know that, I don't think he even knew I was a pastor. He just... Focused in on our house. This naked, demon-possessed, supernatural man just focuses on our house trying to break in. And praise the Lord that my wife and my kids weren't there. And God and his providence uh, protected us. But, you know, it's like, you know, I, I remember just thinking to myself, like, it's like this guy just, like, leaped out of the Gospel of Luke. Literally. Naked, supernatural strength, talking about religious things. Just in, 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 in confronting the man of God and his family. By the way, you got to pray for your pastor your pastor's wife. If you don't believe that there's a such thing as spiritual warfare. So number one, we see that this demon-possessed man was naked. Number two, we see that this demon-possessed man was fascinated with death. Number three, we see that this demon-possessed man was aware of spiritual truth. Number two, we see that this demon-possessed man had above normal strength. And then... And then uh, here, here's another one, number five. Go to Mark 5. Remember I told you the story is found in, in several Gospels? Mark 5, 5. Here's the fifth characteristic. The demon-possessed man cut himself. Mark 5, 5. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains, referring to this demon-possessed man, and in the tombs, crying, notice, and cutting himself with stones. This demon-possessed man cut himself. You know that there are people, you know the same people that listen to the same rock music about death and darkness and, and worshiping the devil also cut themselves? It's characteristics of demon influence. But let me just say this, that demon influence is not, and, and, and look, we, we, you can beat up on the rock music, but the rap music has a bunch of Satanism and death in it as well. It all does. All of it. This demon-possessed man cut himself. But here's the, here's the, the influence, because remember, we live in this demon-influence culture. This man cut himself, but you know, here's, here's the takeaway, the influence, the demonic influence of our society is a culture of self-mutilation. It's, it's, it's a demonic influence. So you say, self-mutilation? What do you mean? I mean, the cutting yourself, 
I mean, the piercing yourself. I mean, the tattooing yourself up. These are all things. Look, you really think a Christian who's just reading the Bible every day, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, goes to church, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, reads the Bible every day, gets on their knees and prays every day, goes out soul winning every week. You think it's just some, some Christian who's just filled with the Holy Spirit, says, I think I'm going to go get a tattoo. I think I need to get a tattoo. That's not, that, you didn't get that idea from the world. And look, if you're here this morning and you got tattoos or your peers, I'm not preaching at you. Obviously, everybody has a past whatever. But I'm trying to keep a bunch of these kids from doing it. Amen. And by the way, I, I love the fact that our church is filled with people that have tattoos, and it's a testimony to the, a transformed life. Amen. But you know, this self-mutilation culture we live in, it's an influence of the devil. And by the way, let me just let you in on a little secret. And again, I'm not trying to offend you guys with tattoos. I love you. I'm for you. But let me just, you kids that don't have tattoos, you're like, as soon as I turn 18, I'm going to get a tattoo. Here's the problem with that. When you're 18, you're an idiot. <laughs> and, and, and here's what people never think about when they get a tattoo. They think, this looks awesome when I'm 18. Let me let you know a little secret. Everything looks awesome when you're 18. When you're 48, it's going to look different. Many a, many a young lady thought, oh, this is going to look real right. I'm going to get this, you know, fairy on my lower back. And it's like, I'm 18, I'm 20. Yeah, but the problem is when you're 40 years old, that fairy is going to look like a morbidly obese fairy <laughs> that's stretched out. I mean, you should probably think these things through is what I'm saying. Amen. You ought to think, what, what, if you're going to get a tattoo, you ought to think, what kind of tattoo would look good when I'm fat and old and wrinkly? That's the one I want. I need a tattoo that's going to age well. <laughs> or, or better yet, just don't cut yourself. Amen. The Bible says not to mark yourself. Look, if God wanted you with a hole the size of a baseball in your earlobe, he would have made you that way. If God wanted a, a tramp stamp in your lower back, he would have given you one. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. God made you exactly the way he wants you. In the self-mutilation culture of today, cutting yourself, piercing yourself, tattoo, it's demonic. No Christian right with God just got done reading their King James Bible and said, I think I'm going to go cut myself. I think I'm going to go inject ink, permanent ink into my body now. I think I'm going to put a hole in my body now. It's demonic. He cut himself. Go back to Luke chapter 8, verse 30. Let me give you the sixth characteristic. Not only do we see that he was demon, this demon-possessed man was naked, this demon-possessed man was fascinated with death, this demon-possessed man was aware of spiritual truth, this demon-possessed man had above normal strength, this demon-possessed man cut himself. But number six, the demon-possessed man, I want you to know, and you know this, if you know the story, had multiple demons, many demons. Look at Luke 8 and verse 30. And Jesus asked him, saying, what is thy name? And he said, Legion. And Legion is not so much a name as it is a title or a description. Because in the Roman Empire, which is the time when Jesus is alive, a legion was a description of a division of Roman soldiers in the Roman uh, 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 army, a division or a unit of soldiers that could have anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers in it. So when this guy says, Jesus says, what is thy name? And he says, legion. He's saying like, there's a lot of us. 
you, you want all our names? We're like a legion of devils. And by the way, that, the fact that he uses a military term to describe himself should remind you that we're engaged in spiritual warfare, that they're fighting against us. He said, legion, notice verse 30, because many devils were entered into him. And here's the thing. You, you'll find this consistently throughout the Bible. When somebody has a demon, they probably have multiple demons. Look, look at Luke 8. You're there in chapter 8. Look at verse 2. Remember we saw this uh, earlier in our study, Luke chapter 8, verse 2. And a certain woman, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went, notice, seven devils. Jesus later on in Luke gives a parable of a man who gets the devils to go out, and he has multiple devils, and then he brings back multiple devils. So it, it seems to be this, this thing in the Bible. It, it emphasizes the fact that when somebody has a devil, they've got multiple devils. Now, let me just say this real quickly, and I'll, I'll just read this. And uh, you, you stay there in, in Luke 8. But let me just answer this question. Can a believer be demon-possessed? And the answer is no. And there's lots of scriptures we can look at. I'll just give you one. 1 John 4, 4. The Bible says, it's in your bulletin. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, an evil spirit cannot come into my body as a saved person and overtake my body because I've got the Holy Spirit. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So a a, a believer cannot be demon-possessed. But let me just say this. A believer cannot be demon-possessed. You cannot be possessed by a devil. But a believer can definitely be demon-oppressed. You can definitely have demons attacking you and trying to make your life miserable and be engaged in, in spiritual warfare. But I want you to notice that this man had many demons, is what the Bible says. So number one, we saw the confrontation with a demon-possessed man. The devil has devils, has demons, and these demons engage in spiritual warfare against God, against the Lord Jesus Christ, and against God's people. Then we saw the characteristics of the demon-possessed man. He was naked. He was fascinated with, uh, with death. He was aware of spiritual truth. He had above-normal strength. He cut himself. He had multiple demons. Let me thirdly this morning give you the last point. We see the conversion of the demon-possessed man. And let me just say this, that somebody can get saved even if they've been demon-possessed. Now, there are many reprobates who are demon-possessed. They can't be saved, not because they're demon-possessed, but because they're reprobates. And we'll talk about the reprobates tonight and as we continue in our Luke uh, series. But let, let me just say this. Someone can be saved who has had de- who's been demon-possessed. And in fact, we just read about Mary Magdalene who had seven devils and she got saved. And this man gets saved. So notice the, the conversion of the demon-possessed man. The first thing we see in his conversion is the value of a soul. What price would you put on a soul? How much money would you spend to get one person saved? Why don't you notice in the story, it's interesting that Jesus is going to cast the devils, the legion, out of this man. But because there's so many of them, he allows them to kill swine, the Bible says. Notice there in Luke 8, verse 31. And they, this is the devils, legion, besought him, Jesus, that he would not command them to go out into the the deep. And there was there an herd of many swine feeding on the mountains, and they besought him that he, Jesus, would suffer them. The word suffer means allow them to enter into them. 
So remember, we are in, in the land of the Gadarenes. This is a Gentile location, not a, uh, a location of, 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 of Judea or of Israel. So you've got this pig farm. Someone's raising these pigs. There's a herd of many swine. And these devils, they, they're asking Jesus, hey, instead of commanding us to go out into the deep, you know, can, can you just command us to possess this herd of many swine? And the Bible says in verse 32, And they besought him and he would, and he, that he would suffer them, allow them to enter into them. Notice the last part of verse 32, And he suffered them. He allowed them. It's interesting. They, look, the devil and the devils are under the authority of Lord Jesus Christ. They, he still has to grant them permission. By the way, when the devil oppresses a Christian. You know, I talked about the fact that Christians cannot be demon-possessed, but they can be demon-oppressed. You say, what's an example of that? An example of that is Job, where Satan went to war with Job. But if you remember, Job had to get God's permission to do that. Look, understand something. Everything in your life is filtered through God. Nothing in your life catches God by surprise. You say, I'm going through a hard time. I'm going through a difficult time. I feel like the devil's attacking me. Hey, that may be true, but just know this, that was filtered by God. God knows what you're going through. And here, they ask permission. And the Bible says he suffered them. Look at verse 33. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and were choked. Now, I want you to go to Mark, if you would. Go back to Mark chapter 5. You're there, you're there in Luke. Go, go to Mark. So there's this herd of many swine. They ask, can we go into these pigs? And the devil went out of the man and entered into the swine. And, and then the, the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. In Mark, we're told the same story, but we're given how many Pigs, exactly. How many swine? Look at Mark 5 and verse 11. Now there, were, there was there nigh, the word nigh means near, unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils, this is legion, besought him, Jesus saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirit went out and entered into the swine. And they, the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. So the Bible tells us there was 2,000 pigs. The devil said, when Jesus asked, what's your name? He said, legion, which a legion generally had three to 6,000 soldiers. So we're talking about, you know, we don't know how many devils there are, but there's thousands of devils in this one guy. And, the, and Jesus allows them to be cast into these 2,000 pigs, knowing that they're going to run off a cliff and die. This should teach us a couple of things. First of all, Jesus values human life above animal life. Obviously, we should not be cruel to animals. The Bible teaches that. But, but if you have to make a choice between an animal and a human being, a human being is a higher value. But not only that, Jesus values the soul of a man more than money. Because you're going to see here in a minute, the, the farmers of these pigs, the, 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 the herdsmen of these pigs, they're not happy with this. I mean, 2,000 pigs, that they're, that, that, this is their, look, when you got 2,000 pigs, it's not a hobby. It's not like my, I've got this hobby farm. This is a business. 
2,000 pigs, and these 2,000 pigs just ran off a cliff because you cast this demon plan. This is their business. This is money. And look, I don't know. I'm a city slicker. I I don't know anything about pigs. But if if you just consider the fact that each one of these pigs costs something, I mean, let's let's say a pig costs just on the low end between $50 and $80 to buy a pig, I would imagine, you know, and you got 2,000 of them, you know, that, that's $100,000, $100,000, Let, $160,000. Let's say on, on a higher end, let's say they're, they're worth 100 to $200 each. We're talking about 200000 to $400,000. Go to Mark chapter 8 real quickly. Mark 8, you're there in Mark 5. Mark 8. So here we have one man who's possessed by devils. These devils are ruining their lives. Jesus wants to cast the devils out, but they're asking, can we go into those pigs? Jesus says, sure, go at it. They go into the pigs. 2,000 pigs run off a cliff. I mean, 200000 to $400,000 runs off a cliff. And Jesus doesn't care. You say, why is that? Because of the value of a soul. Mark 8, 36. For what shall it profit a man? For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You know, that Je- you know that Jesus would spend any amount of money to save one soul. Amen. You know that the worth of a soul to Jesus, you say, is it worth 100000 200000 400000 It's worth so much, he died. Amen. It's worth the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The, so we see the value of a soul here. Jesus, I mean, he let $400,000 just run off the cliff just to save one man. We see the value of the soul, but... Secondly, we see the reaction to salvation. Notice there in verse 34. And when they that fed them, because obviously there's people there working with these 2,000 pigs. When they that fed them, Luke 8, 34, saw what was done, they fled. And went and told it unto the city, into the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed now, now we get the contrast. We saw him when he was demon-possessed, naked, fascinated with death, supernatural strength, cutting himself. Now we see him when he's saved, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed, and in his right mind. Amen. And they were afraid. By the way, that's what a saved person looks like. Amen. That's what a saved person should look like, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed, and in his right mind. Amen. Verse 36, And they also which saw it told them, By what means he that was possessed of the devil was healed. Look at verse 37. This is, I think, this is a really interesting passage. But to me, verse 37 is the most interesting or perplexing of this whole passage. And the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes. I mean, everybody in this country knew who this guy was. Nobody misses the albino naked guy beating up three cops. They tied him up, and he broke free from the chains. He, they, they know he's living in the tombs. They're telling their children, be careful, don't go out to those tombs. You know, the naked guy's out there. You know, demon-possessed man's out there. You know, crazy guy's out there. Now, now, they, they see the same man sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. What's their reaction? Verse 37. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about, besought him, besought Jesus, to depart from them. 
for they were taken with great fear. And he went up into the ship and returned back again. They, they see the demon-possessed man clothed in his right mind. And they look at Jesus, you got to go. You got to leave. You think they say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah! Look at the power of God. Look at what God has done. But no, you know, it's interesting. And I would imagine that they were probably uh, 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 upset at the fact that they just lost $400,000. What's interesting is that they liked him better the other way. So it shouldn't surprise you. When you, you, you're like, man, I got saved. I was on drugs. I was just destroying my life. I was stealing from my family. I was in and out of prison. I was just, every, I mean, I was, everything was bad. And then I got saved. And I, and I began to sit at Jesus' feet. And I got clothed in my right mind. And I began to go to church. And I got a job. And I got cleaned up. And, I be, and, and your friends are like, oh, we liked you better when you were a drug addict. You got to leave now. You and Jesus, take them. It's interesting to me that the world would rather see you naked, Destroying your life, demon possessed. Then he'd like to see. Then they'd like to see you filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They liked him the way he was before, and they wanted Jesus to leave. Quickly, let's let's finish up. Look at verse thirty-eight, verse thirty-eight, thirty-nine. Notice what should be the desire of a transformed life. Verse thirty-eight. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him. This is the the demon possessed man that's not demon possessed anymore. He's sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed in his right mind. He besought him. He goes to Jesus. He besought him that he might be with him. Because the, the, the Gadarene said, Jesus, you got to go. And the, the ex-demon-possessed man, I don't know what to call him. He's not Legion anymore. Maybe he's Larry. I don't know. And he, he, Larry goes to Jesus and says, I want to go with you. That he might be with him. You know, when you got saved, that should be your desire, to live, be with Jesus. We see the desire of a transformed life, and we, then we see the mission of a transformed life. Notice Jesus' response. But Jesus, last part of verse 38, sent him away saying, verse 39, return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. Pastor, you're always turning every sermon into soul winning. I'm not, look, it's in the text. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't get away from it. I mean, just, just like soul winning, soul winning, soul winning. This guy gets saved and Jesus says, what do I do now? He says, go soul winning. Return to thine own house and show how great things God has done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. And you know what? Maybe you weren't demon-possessed. Maybe you were. <laughs> but now you're saved. My job and your job is to go publish throughout the whole city how great things Jesus has done unto us. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this passage of Scripture. So much to learn from this story. And so much we can learn from the society we live in, the demon-influenced society that we live in. Lord, I pray you'd help us to realize that there is a devil. He does have devils. And he's engaged in spiritual warfare against us. And Lord, help us to be on the offensive. Help us to be like this man and go and publish to the whole city how great things God has done for us. 
Help us to be soul winners. Help us to sit at Jesus' feet, clothed in our right mind. Help us to not be influenced by demonic ideas of nakedness and self-mutilation and the exalting of death. Lord, I pray you'd help us to live for you. Thank you for this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.